So welcome everybody to the Iron Road Way. We've got a special guest, Dustin Swinehart, joining us from Charlotte, North Carolina today. Dustin, how you doing? Doing great, thank you. Doing great. Thanks for joining Excited us. Excited to brother. be here. You, uh, yeah, you guys, Cincinnati, we're setting new records here. It's, uh, we, I think, Ken, what did we have, the hottest day of the year last year, 95 degrees? I believe so, yeah. I think they did yeah. say it was the hottest day of the year. Last day of You guys September. are getting a little taste of the South. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? Is this global warming or what's going on? It is. It's, uh, I just think, you know, it's the love of the South reaching its way up to the Midwest for y'all. You get a little chance to experience, experience oh. the 90s in, in October. Oh, boy. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what. It's good. We no, appreciate I, the yeah, <laughs> this spread of the we love. We appreciate the thought that you keep that love. love all the way up there, brother. <laughs> oh, so Dustin, um, um, you're involved in a really uh, unique um, outreach program, Project 658 in Charlotte. And one of the things that we like to do on our podcast is just talk about people that are doing unique things around our country uh, to improve. Um, the lives of their fellow man, and uh, and then and then try to dig deeper on why. So tell us a little bit about Project Six Fifty Eight, what you guys are doing over there in Charlotte, and how things are going. Yeah, well, um, I mean, first of all, it's an honor to be with you, and for those listening, just I'd say my life has been deeply impacted by my relationship with Billy and how God brought him into my life when I was sixteen years old, and. Um, I've never mm-hmm. been the same since. And, uh, but, uh, you know, in some ways, the, uh, in, in some ways, this, the story of what we're doing today really does, um, probably tie way back to when I was a teenager. But this, this picture of, um, you know, for, for my, you know, quick snapshot was, um, grew up in suburban America. Uh, in a suburban mm-hmm. high school and was athlete, um, churchgoer, but really came to faith through Young Life in high school. And Billy was my Young Life leader. For, um, and that was, my life changed. It was. Dude, um, you're, you're the only nice. person that'll admit that. All these other people, yeah. they're Young Life leaders. They don't want to, they're like, oh, were you there? I don't want to talk about that. Thank you, bud. <laughs> <laughs> so it was uh, June 20th, 1990, where God intersected my life in a powerful way out at Frontier Ranch, Colorado, and, and Billy was, you were really God's primary instrument to bringing me to faith, and um, it's amazing to look back, you know, it's 28 years later, and to see where God's taken my journey, um, and since that, mm-hmm. but, um, but, mm-hmm. but to be honest, it, it really was the germination, uh, it was the germination of, of that time, and when God, you know, really changed the trajectory of my life, and, and truly not the same in a, in a beautiful way. And so, um, so when I was 16, I looked at Billy, and really kind of asked on a picnic. We were sitting on a picnic table, buddy. Oh yeah, out of Frontier Ranch. Yeah, we were sitting on a picnic table, and that's when, you know, just questions about faith and about um, eternity and. Uh, and it was amazing how the Lord just kind of used that time. And, and, and like I said, you know, that's where I became a Christian and my life completely changed trajectories. Uh, and then I remember really 
ongoing conversations with Billy about like, what do you do? What's your job? You know, and, and to hear that <laughs> he was, you know, yeah, like in full-time ministry at the time on Young Life staff that, hey, my job is to hang out with guys and tell them about Jesus like you. And, and I remember when I was 16 years old, I decided I wanted to do two things when I grew up, that I mm. wanted to be a professional athlete and I wanted to be a missionary. And, wow. um, and you so actually 16, made that, that really you big. made that decision at 16, Dustin. <laughs> yeah. So those Amazing. are the two things that for me, um, and, and really that's, that's where there began to take a lot of shape in my life. So I went on to college at Miami university, um, played soccer there, got involved in ministry with campus crusade and, and still stayed involved with young life. And then graduating, um, college I signed my first professional playing contract and then I also came into full-time ministry at the same time and and so it's been it's been amazing right so that's 22 years ago um Mm. that I've had a chance to to be in full-time ministry but also to to really be involved in the platforms that um that can really make I guess ministry uh like a great access point into people's lives and one of those was sports and so being an athlete and so I ended up playing professional soccer for 14 years, but all through that time, I ended up um, working in full-time ministry as well. And in 1998, I came to Charlotte. Um, there was a professional professional soccer team uh, that is in Charlotte. Um, a ministry bought a professional franchise, and so it was pretty cool because it it, um, it melded together the sports world that I loved and also just faith and ministry. And so it was. We weren't playing in a church league. We were playing in um, – we were in the same league that FC Cincinnati was in last year. Um, wow. And so, you know, just this professional platform that was used for ministry. And so the reason I share all that is because that, that really led me not only to Charlotte, but it, it became that team every year we would go overseas and we would serve. So we'd take our whole professional team and we'd go on a mission trip. And we began to go in early, like in 2001, um, we started, we, um, we spent a bunch of time in, in Africa. We were in Ethiopia, Rwanda, and Uganda. And it was there that, um, I started to maybe the first time in my life to really, um, see marginalized communities. So those are, you know, very, very poor, whether they're displaced, because of war or trauma, so they were refugees, or where they were just living in very hard urban poverty. But that was a really big eye-opener for me. Um, and so, so I spent about five years in my life um, traveling across the globe to serve um, with my friends and teammates in these, in these communities. And so we ended up really serving in northern Uganda a lot during the during the northern uh, during the war that was there, and so we were serving in um, displaced people camps. So these would be nationals that were displaced from their homes and they become internal refugees. So we were working in refugee camps, and we did that for about five so Dustin, years, and it was powerful. Yes, sir. That's too long. Let answer. me let me let me interrupt you for just a second. So so yeah, 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 yeah. it Sorry. sounded like you guys said no, 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 because the story is so fascinating. It's amazing, but. You, it sounded like you had been to uh, Rwanda and a couple other communities that were marginalized, as you described. How did you end up settling on Uganda? Yeah, good question. Um, 
So we, so our team in Charlotte is called the Charlotte Eagles, and we were partnering with a with a group that had work going on in Africa, and so they had staff that worked in Rwanda, staff that worked in Kenya, staff that worked in Uganda, um, and as we were taking, you know, kind of year after year trips, one of the projects that they were really invested in was the restoration of northern Uganda during the war. And so it was really through a partnership um, with a group okay. called Sports Outreach Institute that that really was like that was our connecting point into the into the work that was happening there. And so I think it was two pieces. One, they were doing work and we wanted to be a part of it. And then we just had a couple of times that we went where the Lord just showed up in really hard situations, um, but did. So we were going literally into the war. So the war was happening. We were traveling into wow. those communities to serve. And I think there was just that, like, the, I don't know, the Lord moving in really serious faith moments where it's like, I mean, we were getting up. Literally, we got on a plane and we were going to fly into the, to the northern part of Uganda. We were taking our team to do this reconciliation game and then the war was happening and so the pilot said here's the deal i'm going to fly you in i'll I'll land you guys can get off do your work but i'm leaving at three o'clock and if you're not on the plane i'm not waiting for you because i'll get we'll get shot down at night and (laughs) so we can i mean did you before you before you got on the plane did you know that would be the scenario yeah, so we knew as a group it was, hey, um, I mean, I remember our coach looking at us and goes, here's the deal. We're, if you want to go, you can go. There's no guarantee you're coming back. We think we're coming back, but we feel like the Lord wants us to go into this place and to play and to minister the gospel. Wow. And uh, so, so we end up going in, landing, and then had about 6,000 people at the game, ended up sharing the gospel. There were about 2,500 people came to Christ that day. Um, ended up starting 40 different churches out of it. And so so I think part of that was like, hey, we need to keep going back here. So it was a combination of good work happening plus just some pretty life-changing experience that really galvanized a bunch of our hearts to go, we need to go back, we need to go back. So um, so as we were doing this work, um, and, and trust me, it was, it was God-sized work, right? It was work where, we were going into displaced communities that would have 45,000 people in it, you know. And what we were able to do was, in one simple way, was we brought in a game and soccer and we were able to create relationships. But we really began to do this kind of community development work where we were starting to help out with people's educational needs and medical needs. And so it became much bigger than just, say, the game. And, and it was after about four or five years of that that – Myself and um, my wife and um, two or three other guys that were on the team, we kind of looked at each other and said, you know, we're traveling really far. We're going around the world to serve people that are in significant need, some of the, some of the highest need in, in my estimation in the world. We said, but what about the families that are around the corner? So what about the families that are in our own city that are facing some similar challenges. And so Charlotte has a really big refugee population. There's a really big resettled community in Charlotte. We said, well, why don't we do here what we were doing over there? Why don't we really try to take the same initiatives um, and engage in 
the communities here that are marginalized and overlooked. And, and so it's cool. And so it was really the catalyst point was, hey, let's do locally what we were doing overseas. Um, and mm-hmm. so that's where we began. And, um, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll certainly share more. But that was kind of how it all started to be was say, what if we built um, a mission that was in our hometown that believed this, this is our mission statement. It's this, this is that Christ's love compels us to change the world by serving our neighbor, right? So what wow. is it actually true that, that we could, we could change the way the world, you know, the fabric of the world by just loving our neighbors really, really well. And so for us, we said, well, who's our neighbors? Well, our neighbors are certainly those who live right next door to us. But we also have neighbors in our towns, in our cities, um, that don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't eat food like us, um, and yet Christ has called us to do that. And so that's really what we, what we kind of built as our mission statement. But here was the question then that, that really helped us figure out what we, how we were going to do this. And we said, if Jesus came to Charlotte for 24 hours, where would he hang out? Wow. So if Jesus came wow. to Cincinnati for 24 hours or for 48 hours, where would he go spend time? Yeah. And I'll be honest, when I was really honest in my looking at the scriptures and like, I don't think Jesus would hang out in my neighborhood. Yeah. Right. Like the the places I see Jesus going are the people that are often overlooked, the people that are often, you know, kind of looked down upon. Um, And we said, that's where we're going to go. We said, that's the places we're going to go spend time. So, so we had that's a very small group of us or about so right and that's and that's a hard question because it's like you know I don't think Jesus would come into my neighborhood, yeah, you know? not that he I doesn't mean, love so, my neighborhood, but I don't think that's where he'd spend time yeah and i love I love the way you said um you know the way you answered that question was taking a look at scripture and you looked at scripture and you looked at the life that Christ led, and you said, okay, who was he hanging out with and where and um yeah. Gosh, I may have so many thoughts that are flooding. I, I, I want to get into more about Project 658, but there's yeah. so many thoughts I have okay. about just your uh, experience in Uganda. And so just quickly, that that first day, I, I think I heard you say that you went in there, played a game. There were 6,000 people that showed up. You shared the gospel afterwards, and you had 2,500 people that made commitments to Christ. Yeah, yeah. And I, I start thinking right away about the global impact that that day had and the price that each person that decided to say to the guy that was flying you in there, uh, were, the price, you know, you believed you were coming back, but the price that you were willing to pay. Talk about uh, trying to determine whether or not your faith is genuine. Um, each of you guys made a decision that day. Um, to say yes, and we're going to go. And what a what an amazing story about God's faithfulness showing up and and making changes that golly impact the world and the globe and who knows who and how in Uganda today. Amazing. Yeah, it is, it's amazing. You know, the, it's just the way I believe, and I think we all have seen. You know, God does things that are infinitely beyond what we could ask or imagine, you know, and it's like, who would have thought, right, that this thing would have led to this thing, to this, you know, and, and the result is, in that particular environment was a group of guys flew into a place, 
and then continue to go back to that same place, but to see transformation happen. Um, but it really took, I mean, it took a faith element. It took, it took the Lord taking us to this place and said, are you, are you in or out? You know? And I remember we all called back home the night before and, and our coach was like, Hey, you need to call your family and just make sure that they're good with it. You know? And I remember, so my, uh, Billy knows this, but my wife's name is Betty. I remember calling Betty and saying, Hey, you know, uh, we're going to try to fly in and not sure we're going to necessarily come back. Are you good with that? You know? Mm -hmm. And she's like, if the Lord's calling you to do it, then you got to go, you know? And it's just, so so who would have thought, right? But it it really did. It was God moving inside of each individual's heart, but then it really, it pouring out, right? So it's flowing into his work that was so bigger, so much bigger than any of us could have ever imagined or really accomplished. I mean, it's God-sized stuff, you know, and, um, and you know, you know, yeah, it was, one, of, one of the, one of the things that I'd love to say to our listeners is, is thinking about, you know, where your story is ending up. And I know we want to cover more on project 658, but yeah, I go back to, I go back to where it started and thinking about you being a 15 year old kid sitting at a, at a young life camp in Colorado and making a decision at that point to give your life to Christ. Well, at that point, there wasn't anything that any kid today listening to this podcast um, would say, oh, well, I'm not like this. Dustin was special because of this. And it was it was simply your willingness to say yes to God that has allowed you That's to right. play such a significant role in building the kingdom across the globe. I mean, just say, you know, you were from a, a suburban community, like you said, in Worthington, Ohio, and God got a hold of your heart and said, uh, here's what I want you to do, Dustin, and you said yes. And then I think about what the story you just told, and Betty said yes. And so just the result of saying yes, not necessarily being, you know, so anybody that's willing to say yes, to what to what God may call them to do. I love the way you just said, he will do more than you can ever ask or imagine. Such a great testament to that, and I applaud you and thank you for the example. Ah, well, it's, well, thank you. I mean, I would say I'd even trace it back a step further. Like, Billy, you said yes, right? You said yes to come in and, and serve in a community of high school folks and try to reach them for Jesus and who would have thought, right? Like, who would have thought the, the outpouring of all that? And so that's, that's one of the things I love. I think, you know, we talk about God being the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, and there's three generations of 100 years represented in that. And I just think that's the way God works. He works in, like, these these generational um, pieces. And so someone invested in you, Billy, right? And they said yes to the gospel and said yes to giving their life away. And then you said yes and gave your life away into my life, right? And so I had a chance to say yes, and my hope and prayer is as I give my life away for others that they'll say yes to Jesus, and who knows, right? Who knows where it's going to go, and that, I love that. Yeah. But, yeah, there wasn't anything special about, so to speak. I mean, I don't know. I'm just a normal dude from Worthington who was a punk <laughs> soccer player at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, I got, I'll go with the punk part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so okay, so you go and you guys do this, for, uh, you, you go to Uganda yep. and you have this incredible, and you do that for how many years? 1998 was the first year? 
Uh, first year, first year we went to Africa was 2001. Okay, so, 2001. Uh, my, I came to Charlotte in 98. Yeah, my first, we did some other trips, but my first African trip was 2001. And, um, okay. and then we continued to go back and back and back and back and really went every year once. I mean, we were going to at least once a year for about the next 10 years, eight years. And so it really was about 2009, um, <clears throat> that we had, this real call to say, hey, what if, what if we, in addition to trying to serve internationally in these communities, what if we found those pockets in our own city? And so, um, yeah, so that, so yeah, we were going globally for pretty consistently for about eight to 10 years um, and seeing the Lord do, I mean, amazing stuff, you know, and so, and, you know, as an athlete, it was, we, you know, Bill, you've been to Rwanda, we played the we were the first American team to play in the Rwanda National Stadium, had 35,000 people come to the game, um, <laughs> you know, and just God just God just did cool stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. And share the, yeah. I mean, like the, to share the gospel at halftime with 35,000 people um, and to see 150 churches represent that day. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's cool. But that was going on. And then about in, in 2009 is when um, – really had a chance to maybe turn that picture back towards our home and say, how do we do this with our neighbors here too? So Dustin, tell us a little bit about Project 658, what you guys are doing in Charlotte now, some of the things that you see happening. How are you changing the community? I know there's lots of different outreach uh, yeah. assets to what Project 658 does. How are you, tell us how you're doing that in the community of Charlotte. Yeah, um, so I think it's, I think the way we've kind of built out what we do, um, and this is funny, it's, it's the best way to understand what we do, and I'll share a couple of specifics, but is to, to imagine, to reverse the whole story around in this way. And it's that if something happened in Cincinnati today, or something happened in Charlotte today, and my family or your family got displaced, so let's say that, you know, a crisis broke out or a war broke out and, and you and your family had to leave your home today and you had to flee. So you could only take the clothes on your back, right? And you didn't have a bank account and you didn't really have a cell phone, but you had to flee with your family and you had to go to, you know, you had to go to another country. So you all went to Kentucky, right? That's a different country. So you went down to Kentucky or I went to South Carolina and I ended up in a camp, <laughs> And then six months from there, my family, your family, got resettled into a neighborhood, a village in, let's say, Nepal. Okay, mm-hmm. so, and I said, and here's how we kind of build out what we said we would do as an organization. We said, number one, where would Jesus hang out? That, that was one question we wanted to answer. And the second one was, if this happened to my family, and I ended up in the same situation somewhere else in the world, so my family... My wife's four kids were living. We just got resettled in Nepal. We got stepped off a plane. I said, what would I want? What mm-hmm. would I want? What, what would mm-hmm. I want for my family as a husband, as a father? What would I want? And, you know, I wouldn't want someone to walk up and give me $100. I really wouldn't. What I would mm-hmm. want is I would want somebody from that community who loved Jesus who would become my friend. Mm-hmm. And a person that would help me help me navigate all the things I got to figure out in the next 
six months, 12 months, 18 months, right? Mm-hmm. So I would want mm-hmm. a Christ follower from that place that can help me navigate the roads in front of me. And so that's mm. what we said. That's what we're going to build. We said we're going to mm. build a community of people who will be that friend, who will step into the lives of those families that have found themselves in a situation that they never thought they would ever be in. Yeah. Right. And so we'll have, you know, this past year we served just over 5,000 families. Wow. Okay. Um, and so there's 5,000 probably 10,000 individuals that we had a chance to really step in the, into their lives. But we want to do it in the same way that someone we would want someone to do for us, right? Like love your neighbor as yourself, <laughs> right? That's the, right. It's, it's Jesus's idea. It's not, it's not our idea. So it was, what is, what would we want? And you know what? We would want friendship that's centered on Jesus that can help us. And so that's what we yeah. built. And so we said, Hey, here's our goal. Our goal is to build relationships build friendships, but we also want to build pathways that can help forward. Because we also know that America is complicated, it's expensive. If you're not from here, the obstacles can feel really daunting. So we said, what if we made it easier? So our goal is let's do what we want someone to do for us and let's make this whole process easier. And so what do families need? You know, let's think through, let's talk to them. What are their needs? What is, you know, and that's kind of really where we started. So 10 years ago, we started with a really small group of people that began to hang out in apartment communities with refugees. And we said, here's our neighbors and they need, they need different things in the same way that we would need it. So let's, let's build these relationships. So, so what it turned into was we really developed out, um, a network of friendship building, right? Christ-centered friendship building into these into these families that are all around our city. Um, and we said we're really going to focus on like four things. We are going to number one, we're going to help with immediate needs. So we said we want to help you today. So if you come to us or we we intersect with you and you're hungry, you're cold, you're sick, you need help today. We've got the ability to connect with that. So one round of programming that we provide is we provide feeding and clothing support for families. We provide medical and counseling support for people that are hurting. And, um, and so we have a, we ended up um, developing out a campus of facilities built like a community center, um, which I'll tell you about in a second. But basically we've got all the, a bunch of services that are people can get food, clothing, doctor care, you know, if they need, um, like I said, counseling, that's all available at no cost for them. So there's this immediate piece. Well, then we said, you know, the next thing is, like, it's not just about today because we know the path in front of these families are significant. So we call our development programs, which are we're going to develop you and put you on a, you know, kind of a path of um, of making it, of sustaining your life. So we said we're going to think through the next 10 years for you. So that's our second wave of programs. We said, hey, we want to help you for the next 10 years. So that's going to be – so we do um, – so we have a very big international community we serve, and English is a big, a big uh, piece of the puzzle for them. So we provide English class. We have about 50 students, 50 adult students come every day to our facility to get English class. Um, we do employment tracks for them. So we have three different employment programs that people can get involved in so they can help find a better job and keep a better job. Um, we do a spiritual discipleship and leadership class. Um, that we work primarily with um, with the refugee pastors that are around us. So we've got a, about 15 different pastors um, that are really leading 
the gospel into all these communities. And so we invest in them every week. Um, but we have these, these plans where we're saying we're going to help you find, you know, get a better skill, be more sustainable in America, and we're going we're gonna to invest in you for the next 10 years. Um, so that's our second. So we do immediate care. We do this development work. The third thing we do is we say we care about the next generation is we're going to invest in all their kids. So we mm. provide free child care, free after school. We provide a free uh, high school tutoring and mentorship program. We run mm. neighborhood-based sports programs in all these apartment communities for these families. Um, again, if I'm living in a different country, I'd want a place for my kids to be involved. Mm. And so that's mm. where we said, that's, let's do that for them. Let's provide an environment that we would want someone to provide for our family if we're in the same spot. So, so we've got a, a pretty robust amount of like youth and children services that we provide. Um, mm-hmm. And then the fourth thing, which is really, really important, is that we, we provide an opportunity for people to serve. And so <clears throat> we just believe there's a lot of people that want to help, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. people that need help, but those mm-hmm. two people don't meet very easily. Mm-hmm. And so we provide a, really a gateway for oftentimes American families and churches who want to get involved in some of the communities that have higher needs in our city, but they just don't know how. So we provide these service connections, which is really these, you know, either they're volunteering with us or we're connecting them directly to families to, to, to build kind of one-on-one relationships. But, um, and it's cool. So that's, that's really the model that we've built. And the net result has been we've built a really a community center. So, so here's how it all began. So we started with three of us in a neighborhood and we said, here's our goal. For six months, we're not going to run a single program. Mm-hmm. Said, for six months, all we're going to do is get to know people in this neighborhood. Let's listen to them. Let's listen to what they say they need. Let's not act like we know what they need. So let's mm-hmm. listen to them. Um, and so that, it started really simple. It grew into people needing clothing. They didn't have jackets. And even though we're in the south and it's like 94 degrees today, it can still get cold in the winter. And so... We had families that had literally no blankets, no jackets. So we said, it's not right. So we ended up kind of mobilizing donated clothing and blankets, and we gave those away. And that turned into people saying, well, we need clothing. We also need language. Can you help? So it just started to grow. So we're in a little mm-hmm. apartment. We grew out of that. We were in an 1,000-square-foot apartment. And then we grew out of that pretty quickly. And then we were in the basement of a church that had no heating or air conditioning. But God was showing up in it. We planted a church in there, and it was pretty cool. And we just needed a space, and so we prayed and prayed, and God brought us a roller skating rink. So we bought, we bought in 2013, <laughs> we bought a roller skating rink. <laughs> and uh, wow. it's true. We bought a roller skating rink, 25,000 square feet, and, um, and it was a total God moment. It was like, like it was this crazy Jesus showed up and did something incredible where it was we we were doing a ton of really good work we had a staff of about six to seven people um and a bunch of volunteers and the work was really good but we had no space and uh we ended up saying you know god we need somewhere right in the middle of these neighborhoods because people half the people don't drive so we need them to be able to walk to us and so mm-hmm. there sat this roller skating abandoned roller skating rink and we said what if we bought this and so we, we ended up um, saying yes to it, but one of the tricks was we had 90 days to raise three times our entire annual budget. 
<laughs> as a down payment. So, right. So we, we like we said yes to it and we had to raise, you know, we had to raise half a million dollars in 90 days. Wow. And we said, all right, Lord, if you're in this, you're going to show up. And 90 days later, it all came in and we ended up buying this property and it just kind of took off in a really powerful way. And so, um, so we, we, the result is we have this community center. It's called the 658 Center, which is um, vibrant with people and programs and community and activity. And so now we have three properties kind of clumped together in our campus, and it's cool. And um, now our team, we've got about 25 people on staff, about another 40 employees that work with us. Um, and we think, we think we matter to the city. Um, mm-hmm. We matter to the families that we get a chance to serve. Dustin, it is it is truly an amazing story, and I can't thank you enough for sharing it. You um, oh. and I, I'm a re- re- you know really humbled by hearing it, and uh, overwhelmed with thankfulness for the way God's using you and for the other people that are given to Project 658 in Charlotte. It's a, a tremendous model for people to look and see the questions that you're asking yourself. Um, in regards to being uprooted in a different country and what you would need, um, boy, what a, what a great answer that you gave and someone that loves Christ and wants to be your friend. And uh, it's mm-hmm. just amazing to see the fruit that's coming out of that obedience. So I just thank you for oh, taking the time you. to share that with us today. And yeah. I, I, Sorry you know, if I, I talked too long. No, you were phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, just an incredible story, and I'd like to do some follow-ups with you, um, you know, maybe some yeah. shorter stints so we can get follow-ups. But, you know, one question I would like to ask, just because I'm sure other people that listen to this are going to be blown <laughs> away as I'm blown away, um, how do people help? How do they, if they if yeah. they hear what you're doing in Charlotte and they're from Charlotte, how does, uh, you know, I think about Insight Global, which is a big presence there, uh, in the Charlotte area, and I think about their CEO, who is a guy named Bert Bean, who is uh, a tremendous visionary and certainly, and I think Charlotte's one of their largest offices. They're a three and a half billion dollar company, I think. But somebody like right. that that would want to get behind the vision uh, that you have and the work that you're doing, how do they help? Yeah, good question. Um, well, you know, I think I think. Three simple things. I think one, one of the greatest ways people can help is if they want to pray for us. You know, I think that there's there's nothing more powerful than than praying. Um, I think second is come join us. Just come jump in the fight with us. We've got um, so volunteering is a very easy way to connect. And, and volunteering doesn't mean I have to come every Thursday for the next three years. I mean, it could be hey, I want to come out one day. Um, we provide lunch two days a week for people, for our whole facility and any volunteer. And so it's free, so you can come have lunch with us. An easy way is come have lunch with us and just sit with families and um, and get to know some of the people that are that are our neighbors. Um, so I think just kind of joining as a volunteer, and again, that can be simple or it can be ongoing. And um, and I think I think the third way is to um, is honestly is to take a step of faith. Right. And I don't know what that step might be. I mean, practically with us, it might be volunteering. It might be giving. It might be, um, you know, trying to seek ways to advocate for the work that we're doing. So so we serve, for those who aren't from Charlotte, we serve in the east part of Charlotte, which is 
really kind of the multicultural area of the city. But it's also like it's it's been an area that's been kind of overlooked in in the development, if you will, of Charlotte. And so I think we got a lot mm-hmm. of incredibly gifted people um, that could use a friendship and they could use even just a, a hand forward, you know. So that might be networking for us or helping connect families to new things. But but those so pray, come jump in, jump in with us and, and think about ways to help, you know, advocate and support families. And I think if you're not from Charlotte and you think about ways, you know, I think Billy said it really well, which was when you say yes to the gospel or you say yes to what he's calling you to, um, you know, to go all to go all in on that means to really to put your heart into it and, and see where God would take it. So find a place, right? Find a place in your city where you could you could get involved in and people say like I don't have a lot to offer. Like I don't what do I have to give? I'm not a I'm not a social worker. I'm not a whatever. And I would say this the greatest gift you can give without question is a relationship with you empowered by Jesus. That's the greatest thing you can give. If you'll show mm-hmm. up and Jesus and Jesus is a part of the equation, powerful things can happen. You don't have to be good at a lot of stuff. I just got to know the guy, right? Jesus, that's the greatest of all. And, um, mm. and I think that's where don't, don't underestimate the power of your friendship. Um, cause a lot of times it's really just sitting down with someone and getting to know them. That's the, that's where the, the, the power starts. So, so take that Did step. That would be my encouragement to the I, listeners. I've had, I've had chills from the time you started talking to right now, which you were sitting right here with me. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, hey, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to get, um, I bet. Listen, dude, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get practical about this. I'm gonna issue the Insight Global Challenge. I'm shouting out the Insight Global. Dustin and I are gonna talk about this, but we're gonna think about something that Iron Road will do on behalf of Insight Global for for Insight Global, okay? So you recruiters that are out there, I want you to listen to this. I don't know exactly what it means, uh, outside of the fact that it means business for Insight Global. And so, but we're going to issue the Insight Global Challenge, and for that Charlotte office to champion getting involved with Project 658, more to come on it, but it's issued. Come on, Burst Bean, step up. Let's go. Yeah, I love it. That sounds good. We got roller skates waiting for you. Don't worry. You down? You down with that? We're going to do something. I'm 100% down. June that 20th, awesome. 1990, buddy. That's been 29 years. Hard to believe. I know, I know. It's amazing Hard what a guy can do in 29 years. So, Woo. could not be Dustin, more thankful for you and excited for this, uh, for the podcast. Thanks for letting me join it. And, uh, uh thank, thanks for being yeah. on here. Proud of you. Love you, buddy. Keep doing yeah. what you're doing. Thank you. Love and, you uh, too. We'll talk soon.